Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and thanks for tuning in to the Veterans Path Podcast. This podcast is just a piece of what we do. Veterans Path is actually a nonprofit working to introduce veterans and active service members to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of Veterans Path, increase attendance at our retreats so we're able to help more veterans, and finally, to reduce the stigma around mindfulness and meditation and seeking mental health support. Listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review or a like and share the show with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from our message. Also, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest, retired Navy Master Chief Tim White. Tim is a loving husband, a proud father of two wonderful daughters, and a quote-unquote sailor in recovery who, quote-unquote, retired early after 24 years in the Navy. He loves to read and study most all subjects and is working to become an expert on the veteran to project management professional transition. Tim uses stoicism, mindfulness, and comedy to learn, grow, and help others achieve their goals. To stay fit, he paces marathons and picks up heavy things every now and then. We're going to learn a lot more about Tim, his time in the Navy, and transitioning to becoming a project management professional, and his use of stoicism and mindfulness. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is retired Master Chief Tim White. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, how have you been? Doing great, man. Doing great. I've been outside for the last couple hours, outside in the in nature, and the wind's blowing, and trying to do the yard in the middle of all that. It, it just being outside and, and in the sunlight, that kind of thing. I really, I do well in that kind of environment. I love that. So I'm doing great here. Hopefully yeah, you and the family are doing well. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And that's great that you're getting outdoors. Uh, I mean, in this time of uh, the coronavirus isolation. Uh, I think a lot of people are taking that as meaning that you have to be indoors all the time, but that's not by any means the case. You can get outdoors and do your yard work or even work outdoors if you're uh, able to, if you're at home and you've got you know, your, uh, your iPad or your computer and your phone, and you can maybe if you're blessed too, you can work outside and get some of that vitamin D you know, from that sunlight that you're talking about and how good that is for us. So that's, uh, that's good that you're doing that, man. Um, yeah. So what, what kind of adjustments are you having to make with everything that has been going on? Not to be facetious, but very few because 
Yeah, since I retired, I've been working from home since that time, and I've just got a lot of flexibility, and, and I'm an introvert as well. I know you are. So <laughs> being at home by myself through large swaths of time, no problem. Right. Going out to the grocery store and getting there early, not a problem. I, probably <laughs> the, the biggest adjustment is now I, I found an old dusty mask in the shed and some gloves, and I throw those on when I go out to the store. And then I wipe down real well with hand sanitizer and that kind of stuff when I get home. And that's about it. Otherwise, life is not that much different. I cannot fathom the challenge that this is providing for folks in the big cities. Because I think you and I are having a different experience than somebody sure. living, you know, in New York City. So, uh, yeah, my, uh, my brother um, uh, and his husband actually live in New York City. And they, they got out. Uh, they went to Vermont. Uh, for let's see they I think they've been there about almost 10 days now but I may be losing track but they've got they've got like a long-term rental that they picked up just to get the heck out of the city because it's like uh, it is truly the epicenter of of everything that's going on uh, with the coronavirus right now so that's a great blessing that they had that ability to do that yeah absolutely absolutely man well excuse me man I got a little frog in my throat let me get a sip of water no worries (laughs) <laughs> right before I hit record for those listening, I told Tim, I was like, Hey, take that last swig of water. And here I am the one <laughs> that's, that's got the frog in my throat. So yeah. Uh, getting into the question, man, um, kind of what I start with typically. And I think you've listened to some of the episodes, but um, the professional bio is normally what I kick it off with. And then I get into, you know, the, just the opening question is who is Tim? What, what is, more than the bio, what would you like our listeners to know about you? I have been mulling this over, and I got to <laughs> be honest, I don't, I don't have much. I, I hate to say it. I, I'd, I'd really like to hit you with some, some life-shattering stuff. You know, my ego needs me to say, <laughs> say this, say that, tell him about this, and I, I just, I don't know. I like to keep it simple. So I think the bio captures it for the most part. It captures who I am, who this, this collection of cells in this sheath of skin who that dude is I, honestly i think the bio kind of captures it oh well that's not at all true but we'll get a lot more into who you are throughout our, our show here and uh for those who are on video tim could you show us a little bit around uh your room there that you've got i know you showed us the treadmill the whiteboard and everything you're a, a pmp expert uh and he works from home so he's got his space all set up uh, yeah, I am pretty proud of this. This is yeah, the desk that I'm standing at. This I built from scratch, and I tend to do this with a lot of woodworking. And so this is my desk. This is where I work nice. at. Uh, we got the whiteboard over there. We got some some collages that the wife did for me back in the day when I was getting ready to retire. And then, like you said, we got the treadmill over there. We got a TV if you need to stand and, and watch kind of thing. And there you go. An old prop from my UAV days. So uh, yeah, this is where all the magic happens. All right, see so right there, just in what you showed us in the room. <laughs> I know that there's more uh, to Tim than what what is in the bio. So <laughs> tell us. You told you said one. You mentioned some woodworking, and two. You sure. mentioned old UAV days. So tell me about the woodworking. Before I ever joined the Navy, my grandfather was one of those jack all trades, master of some. <laughs> yeah. And he would teach me, he, he would, you know, hand me a hammer and I would be his gopher for a couple of days. So he taught me general carpentry 
and how to use hand tools, how to use my hands, that sort of thing. Joining the Navy, I was a jet engine mechanic, so I didn't really do that for many, many years. Plus, we lived in Navy housing, and you know how it is. We moved around yeah. a lot, so I never really picked it up. But then once we bought this home here in Virginia Beach about 12 years ago, it didn't have a dining room. Well, we're from the South. And being from the South, you own a home without a dining room. That's a faux pas, man. That, that does not stand. So one of the first things we did was closed in the, the, the pool under carport. We made it a dining room. So I got to kind of reinvigorate those skills. And ever since then, owning a home and needing and using those skills, those have really kind of blossomed. And the wife, she does as much as I do. She's often right there with me. She's actually better at it than me, but I will never tell her that. <laughs> so yeah, we've, we've been into woodworking for many years now. We really enjoy it. That's awesome. My wife's a big, big uh, woodworker. She, she built our baby's crib. Uh, while she was pregnant, uh, she built our deck on the back of our house. Um, nice. Yeah, she's uh, she's a crazy good woodworker and, and, and has picked it up even more in the past uh, couple of years in, you know, same thing. The garage is full of tools. And, and in all honesty, when my guy friends come over and they walk into the garage and they see these tools, they're like, oh, man, these are cool that you have all this. I'm like, well, uh, it's not mine, not mine. It's, it's all uh, it's all my wife's stuff. So. She's, uh, Do you find that it doesn't come naturally to you or are you opposed to it or what's oh, uh, no, I'm not okay. opposed to it at all. I would love to be talented in it, but I find I am all thumbs when it comes to putting things together. So I'm uh, I'm more of a, uh, a guy that destroys things. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> so all right. that's why I got into the profession that I did. Uh, I gotcha. So, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the UAV prop there. What's uh, what's that all about? That's from a Pioneer UAV. I, I did a tour there from what, about 98 to 03, somewhere around there. That, that's all, those aren't exact dates, but roughly. So what we yeah. would do there is whenever someone went to leave, we would take one of the old propellers and we would varnish it up. We'd drill out the center and put a clock in there. Well, I lost the clock years ago in one of the moves, but I yeah. still keep that around. And that was a great tour. That was an interesting tour, but we would change the props out all the time. If they had a little nick in them or what have you, we would change them out way too early because, Hey, somebody's transferring. So go yeah. change the prop. Yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's a great reminder. That was a great tour. That's cool, man. That's really cool. So yeah, I mean, talking about, we've touched on your Navy career a few times in the conversation here. Uh, I want to go back to, you know, when, when you joined the Navy, what was it that made you choose the Navy over the other services and, and what did you do while you were in the Navy? Oh, that's a great question because I always swore up and down. I was going to be a Marine and yeah, I, uh, and I still to this day maintain that I would have been a hell of a Marine because I'm, I, I lack imagination sometimes, but uh, you know, if you give me, you give me rules and regulations and, and do this and don't do that. I'm good. I'm all right. No problem. I'll, I'll turn and burn. So I always swore up and down. I was going to be a Marine. My father spent four years in the Navy a long time ago. And he used to sit around and tell sea stories. Then my two older brothers joined the Navy and we were in small town, Arkansas, a population 22,000 people, I think. So there were not many opportunities there. It was kind of like join the military or maybe the height of your working career might be becoming a manager at the Walmart distribution kind of thing. For somebody from our socioeconomics class and status, I was not going to college. I barely passed high school. I mean, it was by the skin of my teeth. So it was one of those things where you sit down and you start looking around and you think about 
where am I going and what am I going to do? And, and of course at that time you're 18, 19, you don't really know. That's a horrible yeah. time to make a life decision, but <laughs> it is what it is. So my, my oldest brother scammed me into joining the army national guard before I ever did anything. And I, I later on find to, you know, found out that was so he could make E2 or E3 or whatever <laughs> in the guard. I, <laughs> I went to, yeah, I went to three drills in the national guard and each drill, they had me clean the same shelf and then we'd go crawl, crawl in the back of a Humvee and go to sleep. <laughs> so I was, I was actually losing money going to guard drills. Cause I was, I was a cook, a line cook or whatever at the local restaurant. So I would lose money on drill weekend. So I finally said, you know, enough of this. And then about two weeks prior, this will show you, this demonstrates my level of intelligence here. I realized I'm supposed to go to army boot camp in like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not in the mood <laughs> to go to army boot camp in two weeks. So I started brainstorming, how do I get out of this? So I called my brother and I'm like, Hey man, I don't really want to do this. He says, call the Navy recruiter. So I did, I went out to the Navy recruiter whom we knew well, because once again, they put my two older brothers in the Navy and he's like, yeah, man, let me, let's do some paperwork. And so sure enough, I, I wasn't too much later after that, I was delayed entry program into the Navy. Wow. So I joined it. Uh, yeah, that was, it, it was probably going to happen anyway, though, to be honest with you. So uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the story I tell myself now looking yeah. back. So you joined the Navy to keep from going into the army. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, uh, and really just to keep from going to army, army boot camp boot was camp. really, so, so yeah, that was yeah. the, uh, that yeah, was the yeah. onus. And you definitely didn't know back then that you would stay in long enough to be a, a Navy master chief. Uh, I, I actually, when I did join, I, I, from the beginning, I kind of felt like I might, and, and just a little more inside baseball. When I was in a school in Millington dating my, my now wife and we found out she was pregnant. So we went ahead and, and got married so she could get the health care, and, and we were in love anyway. We were already engaged, Nice. but at that point the die was kind of cast and, I, I tell you, I used to, when sailors would check in and they would come sit down and we would chat, I would ask them, are you married? Yes. No. Do you have kids? Yes. No. If, if I said, are you married? They said, yes. I said, do you have kids? They said, yes. I said, get the hell out of here. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to worry about you. Come talk to me if you need something or whatever, but I know you're going to TCB. So go on about your way and, and get checked in and, and take care of stuff. So that was once I once I came in as an E zero, I, I joke and say I had to pay the Navy <laughs> to come in because I mean I, I was yeah I was an E one from the from day one, yeah. and uh, I I kind of looked around I I knew what the Navy could do for you, I knew if I stuck it out and I and I put a little effort in it would probably be productive, and it, it all panned out it, it absolutely did pan out and and I actually. I think people, I think I surprised some folks when I retired about two years ago. So I had about six years left I could have done and, and there was no way I could have done them. I could have done it, but I couldn't have done it. No, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think I surprised a lot of people because there used to be jokes about, you know, uh, when do you think you'll make Mac Pond and that kind of stuff, which that's, you know, the e my ego never desired that or wanted that. But it, I was just that hardcore. I was that Navy. Yeah. You know, and, and I tell people now, especially transitioning veterans, the harder you Navy or the harder, whatever service you're, you know, in or insert service here, the harder you Navy, I think the harder that transition is 
because your identity is so wrapped up in it and now you're, you're kind of spinning. Sure. Sure. So a couple of things there, um, TCB has taken care of business. Oh yeah. Thanks. Um, and then, and then, uh, Mick Pond for our listeners, that's the master chief petty officer of the Navy. That's the, the highest ranking enlisted sailor, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the Navy. Um, so, you know, for somebody to say that to Tim, that's speaking volumes about the type of sailor that he was, he was Navy through and through. So, uh, you mentioned the harder you Navy, the harder it is to kind of transition out of the Navy and get that Navy out of you, I guess, as you transition out. So, um, I do want to get to that transition piece because that's a big piece of what, um, the stress that service members face. And then we want to obviously talk about what you can do to address that stress. But before I get into that, um, what were some of your best memories from your time in the Navy? This is going to be a little self-serving, but when I was at that UAV tour, I was, that was when I made uh, first class and I became LPO. And that was my absolute best tour. That was my LPO about a year, year and a half, leading about eight to 10 sailors. And it was low key, low stress because we were dealing with UAVs. We weren't dealing with necessarily meeting a seat and lives on the line kind of thing. If a UAV went down and we lost a couple while I was there, you did some paperwork and you, you did a little quick investigation, whatever, and then you went about your way. One of my sailors during that time received an award or something, or I think he got advanced or I don't, exa- I don't remember exactly what it was, but he's standing up in front of the command. It's a small unit, maybe a hundred folks total officers and enlisted. And he gets this award or what have you. And they ask him, do you have anything you'd like to share? And he said something, I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but then he said, and this is the best unit I've ever served in. And I was his LPO at the time. So for me that, you know, I, I fall asleep at night sometimes still thinking about that and, and remembering that because I'm sure you probably experienced some of the same thing where taking care of people, that was what it was all about. That was the most rewarding, the most enriching, putting aside your own needs and concerns and, and petty whatevers and taking care of those people so they could go do the job. To me, that was critical, and that's that was probably one of the highlights of my career, other than, of course, making chief and going through initiation and, and going, heck, even going to Sears School and th- some things of that nature. All those have, I've got great memories from all those, but hearing that sailor say that up in front of everybody, and he wasn't speaking to me about me or whatever, but it was just speaking to the environment that we had created in that sure. unit, that this guy is saying, this is the best unit I've ever been in, and it's like, oh, that's what this, that's what I'm doing here. That's what this is about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's self-serving at all. You mentioned when I first asked that question that you you felt that the memory that you were going to be referencing was self-serving. I mean, you're talking about taking care of sailors uh, and the fact that they mentioned the environment and the command was the best that they had been a part of because of something that you had done as their leading petty officer. I mean, again, not being necessarily uh, speaking specifically about that, or being the leading petty officer, but the fact that the command was better and the command was the best that they had been a part of, I think that speaks volumes as to who, who you are and what you've done for, for the Navy. Uh, you, you also mentioned there uh, the Chief's Initiation and SEER School. Um, again, for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with that, kind of to bring them up to speed on what Chief's Initiation is, 
and what SEER school is. Can you talk to those and just to kind of explain a little bit of that? CPO initiation in the Navy is probably unique amongst all the services, even though other service members can go through it. The idea is, and, and I'll try to quit dropping acronyms without explaining <laughs> them. Uh, when you become a, a first class petty officer, E6, you're usually running a shop, you're running maybe a, a small cadre of individuals. Well, then you move up into the chief petty officer, CPO rank. And at that point, you're probably gonna become a division chief or you're going to be running multiple shops. It's a mid-level manager in the civilian world. However, unique among the services in the Navy, we tend to break out the enlisted ranks from E6 and below to E7 and above. And this is due to history and heritage and tradition. It used to be you might be out to sea on a ship of war, ship of sail, and your senior technician or expert might go get washed overboard or die from scurvy, whatever. So you would take the next senior or the next most knowledgeable person and you would advance them and you would call them what boatswain's mate chief. And they were just the senior boatswain's mate. Well, over the years that kind of caught on and you develop, we developed the chief petty officer rank. Well, the chief petty officer was not better than the E6 and below, but they were somewhat, they were a bridge in between the E6 and below rank and the officer rank. So they were still enlisted, but they were afforded a little bit more respect and they were usually one of your more knowledgeable individuals because they started out as that E0 and they worked their way up through that rating. So they knew how to be a jet engine mechanic, but they also eventually knew how to lead, manage, motivate, things of that nature. So what we do is we take about six weeks now, it used to be eight weeks, and we pull everybody selected and you have to go through a selection board. This isn't, you have to take an exam and then you go through a selection board and then you're identified as having been uh, a higher performer. And we put them in a group and we start forcing them to work together. We start forcing them to be cohesive. We start forcing them to get out of that me mentality, that I mentality and into that we mentality and to start thinking about how are you gonna take care of your sailors? How are you gonna take care of a group of sailors? We begin separating your performance before it was all about what you did in order to make first class to make chief. And now it's what does your division do? What does your group of people do? What do they achieve in performing? And how well do you take care of them? And oh, by the way, you're still the technical expert. So when they're getting their butt kicked out there on the flight line by something, you're gonna go out there and show them and, and hopefully lead and train them and teach them, mentor them, guide them versus, hey, get out of the way, I, I know how to do this. And we all saw those guys out there. Uh, unfortunately, they do exist. Sometimes it's, it can be hard to put that, to, to say, hey, I can do this and I can get it done in 30 seconds or I can take five minutes and teach you and train you that whole feed a, mish, feed a man to fish. Sure. Uh, teach a man to fish. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sear, I'm sure you're intimately familiar with that. When I'm back at that UAV tour, we were, um, after 9-11, they were looking around for UAV support and we had this really piece of junk plane called the Turn, T-E-R-N. And it was just, it was hot trash, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you could, you could do it. You could use it. You could get a little bit of work out of it because nobody wanted to employ the pioneer platform. It was way too big. Nobody wants to hire a hundred guys to show up with 12 Connex boxes and you need 17 different systems and 34 antennas. It was unwieldy. 
and it was way past its prime. But this turn, a group of six guys could show up with this turn and about four of the, the metal crates and we could get to business. We could get down to work. So I was on a, what we called wave three of that team and somebody found out, I, the, the rumor was somebody found out that wave one and two had gone in country with very little training, very little anything. <laughs> we, we, they, I think they went forward with, this is back in the day where you had DVD collections. Yeah. And a couple handles of vodka, maybe stuck somewhere. <laughs> I'm not, you know, uh, but that was about it. That was about what they went forward with. So they looked around and said, "All right, now wave three and on, you're going to go do the, you're going to go do full deal." We didn't go to Fort Jackson or anything like that, but we did go through Sear. So Sear, we went went up there in March of, I forget what year that would have been. That would have been two or three, but there was about eight foot of snow on the ground. Or something. Yeah, that not at all. That was uh, that was an extremely enriching and rewarding experience. It's that whole out of out of trauma comes growth sort of thing. But I, when we got done, and then I made chief after that point, I still maintain that I would have rather gone back through CPO initiation than to go back through Sears school, <laughs> especially because of the cold. I'm, just, I, once, I'm from Arkansas originally. And in Arkansas, if you get an inch of snow, it is batting down the hatches, go get your milk and eggs kind of thing. Just, <laughs> that was a yeah. big challenge for me. Mine, uh, uh, yeah, so again, really fast for the listeners, Sears is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape school. That's uh, where you're, you learn basically how to act if you become a prisoner of war. Um, you also learn how to survive prior to becoming, like should you in fact be on the run, like if, if your plane goes down, you survive the crash and you'd be on, you're on the run in enemy territory. So that's the survival and the evasion piece. And then the resistance is what you're doing in the, in the prisoner camp because eventually every student becomes a prisoner of the, the prisoner uh, camp um, there that's simulated obviously. Um, and then the escape piece, what you do if you escape those. Um, but my experience was on the West Coast and it was completely opposite. Um, super hot, ridiculously hot um, to where we're actually at points. Uh, they had to take breaks and put us in the shade, strip down to you know our, our skivvies just to cool off. So uh, completely opposite experience, although uh, they were both brutal in their own right. And then uh, going back to the, the chief initiation, um, you, you talked about kind of once that, you know, before the chief rank actually officially existed, um, there was kind of the, the bosun's mate chief, what they were calling them, um, even though it wasn't an official rank yet. Uh, now, the, the chiefs run the Navy. I, I'm a commissioned officer. Um, Tim was a master chief petty officer. The the chiefs truly run the Navy. They're the ones who really know what's going on. Uh, and I was enlisted before and got picked up to go to the Naval Academy. And, and the, uh, the guy that was my career counselor, was a, he was a brand new chief. And he was like, just so you know, you're, uh, you're going to go and be an admin guy. You're, you're, you're not going to run the Navy. We, we chiefs run the Navy. And I ran into him years later. He was a master chief petty officer at uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group, uh, and uh, you know now now I was lieutenant. 
And he was like, hey, sir, good to see you again. What did I tell you? Chiefs run the Navy. I was like, yep, you, you nailed that one. <laughs> but anyhow, sorry, I, I can go down a rabbit hole. That's not obviously not the point of the podcast here. So I'll kind no, of that's, get off our... <laughs> that's good <laughs> stuff. And I'm glad you added it because I think it's more valuable when you add that than if I say it, it sounds self-aggrandizing versus <laughs> you know, when it comes from a, another point of view. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, as that leader in the Navy, that chief, uh, what advice do you have for our listeners uh, on leadership, management, and then, and then furthermore, as a leader, how do you break the stigma of seeking mental health support uh, within the military? I could probably go about 15 different directions with this and, and talk for about an hour. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to summarize and, and try to keep it brief yet still pack some ideas in here. Leadership management. I I think we've covered a little bit already. Take care of your people. Yeah. Take, take care of your people. That's really, you've got to put your people's needs first. And if you're not willing to do that, then maybe become an officer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you had to know that was going to come in there somewhere. Um, I, I think just be reasonable, be patient, maybe be loving, even be stoic when and where you can. Sorry, dogs barking. Let me get rid of the it's dog. All good. No, you're good, man. It's all part of the, uh, the authenticity and real life of the show. It's not too loud. It's not. No, no it's like no. barely background noise. Okay. So leadership management, once again, just take care of your people and you, you put your people's needs first. And, and I didn't make this stuff up. I, I was taught this when you come in off Liberty, you, you ride the Liberty launch back to the ship and you go up and you check in at the squadron and master chief sitting there and you could, you'd swear he'd been sitting there for four days and he's still in his wash khakis and, and you don't know you it, you would swear he hadn't left the room even though you know they have you know they've gone to smoke and have chow and, and shower and shave whatever but still they were just a fixture there and in squadrons aviation squadrons what would often happen is you would check in everybody would check in and check out of what we call the ready room that's where the officers did their briefing at and that's where they met at and and hung out at out to sea on aircraft carrier that's a little bit of a party room when they're not busy when they're not taking care of business so you would check in and check out well there would usually be a jo at the desk for that check in and check out so if you showed up and it was obvious maybe you'd had a little bit too much to drink or maybe you uh, maybe you got a, a weird haircut out to sea <laughs> or out in port or so, you know, there was, you name it, it's happened. Well, that J.O. might grab your ID card and then off you'd go to the rack, sleep it off or what have you. Well, then the next day you didn't go talk to the skipper. You didn't go, to, we call the old, we call the skipper the old man. So I'll say old man probably at times, but <laughs> you didn't go talk to the old man. You would go talk to master chief. You would go talk to him and he would just, he would counsel you and he'd be that wise father almost and say, Hey, listen, you know, this is a third time you've done this since we've been on this cruise, what's going on. And then he might add a little hard love there. You know, he might give you a little squeeze and and what have you, but, but you would learn and you would know from that point on that, Hey, this guy cares about me, but he's also going to rip my head off if I do this. So it was that, it was that tough love kind of thing. So that, you know, once again, I didn't make this stuff up. I was taught this by good leaders and and very effective leaders. So I I, I know it's almost cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. 
if you take care of your people, they're going to take care of you and you don't have to worry about your eval or your fit rep or your awards and people above you see that they really do. You may not think they do, but if you're that quiet professional who is just taking care of business and taking care of people and putting people first, people see that they know that. So it really comes down to putting that ego aside, controlling your emotions in the, in very high stress situations, being that calm, cool, collected voice, being that voice of reason, taking care of your people, not just at work. Also maybe calling them up because you know, their wife had a baby. Now they're on baby leave and say, Hey, is everything all right? Do you need anything? Can I get you anything, anything at all? And they say, yeah, you know, the toilet seat's loose and you go over and fix their toilet seat. I've never done that, but you know, we would, we're the type of guys we'd be willing to do that if we needed sure. to, right? Yeah. So there, there's other ways you can go. If you're smart, you're going to take care of your people first. You're going to take care of business first. You're going to make sure your work center is well ran. You're going to pay attention to details. And then maybe you're going to go do a little college online in order to kind of separate yourself from the crowd. You're going to do other community service if you can, if it doesn't take away from your work. So you're just going to add those little variables in order to be that well-rounded sailor. I know you've heard that phrase. We said yeah. all the time, yeah. being well-rounded. And I set the, the senior chief selection board one year. And then I set the master chief selection board the next year. And that was just key. It was critical. And you could see almost, and I might be lying to myself here, but you could see throughout an individual's fit rep or eval history, if they were just playing the game, i.e., let me go do all this community service because it'll get noticed, or let me get my second master's degree because it'll get noticed, mm -hmm. or let me do all these other things, and they would get so overweighted. Let me have every collateral duty at the command. And, and they, it wasn't about what they were doing with their people and for their people, it was more about them, and it would come through pretty loudly. So if you're just if you add a little bit of that spice to your, to your mix, that's great. That's really going to help you maybe advance a little quicker. If you don't do those things, unfortunately, I've talked to a lot of folks who retired at maybe E8, E7, and, and there's some frustration and some irritation there. They're scratching their head going, why couldn't I advance? Why couldn't I, why couldn't I move up? I took care of my people. Well, great. There's a lot of good people in the military taking care of their people though. So maybe, you need, you, you took care of your people. Great. Thank you. That's a great blessing, but maybe you, you needed to go outside just a little bit of your comfort zone and add some of those other things. Yeah. Cause they, so some of those folks can often get too, Oh, I'm not going to do that. They're just doing that for their eval. I'm not going to do that. They're just doing that for their award. No, I, I actually did some habitat for humanity coordination at one of my short duty tours. And that was one of the most rewarding things I ever did. And I promise you, we didn't shirk on our work at all. We did yeah. it in the extra hours and, and the work did not suffer at all. So that attitude, of, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't need to do that. They're just sucking up or whatever. No, not at all. Now, mental health, I've got to be honest, I'm guilty as the next, the next service member when i was active duty when i was in the military if you came to me and said hey tim i need some time off i got to go to this appointment well, what appointment what do you got to do uh it's kind of personal yeah. yeah okay yeah okay get out of here yeah all right let me let me start finding your replacement <laughs> and that's that you know that's the wrong way to go about it that was absolutely the wrong mentality but you've mentioned it before other guests have mentioned it that is the stigma that i think the work that you're doing is so important to combat. I, I fell into that. 
I, I at times had to think about people as resources more than people. Sometimes as a leader, you got to do that. Hey, I need 15 bodies to fill this team. And this guy's not going to, he's not going to be there for me. So I'm going to have to replace him and, and get another body in this team. So I, that was basically my mentality in the military. Unfortunately, I never really had an opportunity to to reverse that while I was in or demonstrate good healthy habits. The key thing I maybe did was just tried to be calm, cool, and collected and be stoic in nature throughout most of my interactions and, and the challenges and not lose my cool, not flip out in, in strife and stress. But it's only since I've actually retired that I have had some challenges, mental health related, and, and had to go start talking to a therapist and, and have been meditating regularly, being more mindful regularly. And it's one of those things where now that I'm done, now that I'm out of the military, I almost wish I could go back and, and teach and, and lead again. You've probably seen this where they're talking about some folks coming back in due to Corona. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm kind of reading that going, hey, maybe there's a, and there's not because I was aviation. They're not going to call Tim White back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, but to, to be able to go, it's just like at the end of my, my maintenance tour, my maintenance mastery tour is kind of my keystone tour. Once I got done with three years and my relief and we high fived, I was just like, oh, you kind of settle down and breathe. And then I thought, you know, maybe I could do it again even though as you're going through it, you're just going, oh, when is this over? When yeah. is this? <laughs> when you've got to go get in your car and drive to McDonald's and get a stress meal, because <laughs> it, it's that or lose it on the OPSO, the operations officer. He's just trying to manage the operations plan and get airplanes. And, and he's coming to you for the third time that day, wanting another jet and another jet. And, oh, and can we do this? And, oh, yeah. So, when you've got to do that, you now you start looking at that end zone and, and just thinking, oh, I just got to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to the, you know, the fact that at one point you were of the mindset, if somebody came to you and they felt that they needed to go see an, uh, go to an appointment that had to do with mental health and you're like, well, I, I, ha I got 15 bodies. I need 15 bodies without you. Then I can't do the job. Well, the same thing. I mean, if they don't go to that appointment and then they're not mentally healthy, you're gonna lose that person anyway. So why not why not work to get them the health or sorry, the help that they need to develop their mental health, to maintain their mental health so that they can be in fact operationally supporting your team, uh, so that they can be that 15th body on that team instead of uh, a, a liability to that team. So Agreed. And if I had it all over to do again, if I had it to do all over again, I would definitely have a different mindset and a different mentality. And, and you're absolutely right. I, I never prevented anyone from going and I never called them names or made fun of them or anything like that. It's just my manager mode instantly kicked in and thought I'm going to need a relief for that individual. Sure. So, sure. but yeah, I would do it all over again. If I, you know, if I had to do it again, definitely a lot of lessons learned there for me. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned a couple of things there that I also want to come back to here in a second, the stoicism and the mindfulness piece. Uh, we'll come back to that. But previously, you mentioned your transition and, uh, you know, the harder you Navy, the harder it is to get out of the Navy. Um, how was your transition and how did you prepare for that? I started about two years early. 
for a couple of reasons. One of them was my wife and I both come from struggle and strife, especially socioeconomically. We grew up in homes where maybe you might come home and the power was off. Maybe you might come home and dad was in a chair, especially in my situation. Dad was sitting in a chair watching TV and you're like, hey, pops, what's up? Um, I quit. I quit work. Mm. Well, okay, that's cool. But what the hell are we going to eat for dinner? That kind of situation. Right. So, so take all that and wrap it all up and it creates this tremendous need for security and tremendous need for planning and tremendous need for trying to reduce risk to the lowest level possible, which is impossible. We know that, right? Look at COVID, right? That's the black swans are out there. So about two years before I ever even made made the call and pulled the trigger, I started talking to my wife. We'd go out on walks and I would say, how does it feel when I say I'm, I'm, I want to retire? I'm thinking about retirement. And what does, what comes to mind? What are you scared of? What do you think of? What can I do to allay your fears? And not only was I talking to her, I was talking to Tim as well. I was talking to, I was talking to that guy upstairs and, and trying to talk him into it because I knew I was done. I knew I wasn't going to go much further. I was not willing to go convert from being a maintenance individual to a, to a, a CMC, a command master chief, that path was not for me. I did some, some, some days basically filling in and some months filling in. And it's one of those things I was going to be good at had I done it, but it wasn't my gut, my heart, my everything, my, my body said no. So I knew that wasn't a path for me. So about two years, I start talking and we start talking. I start doing spreadsheets. I'm a a planner. I'm an Excel guy. I'm just planning this thing out, soup to nuts. And I'm at work one day. I was sitting there and my relief came in. I was in another high stress position. I was at uh, Fleet Readiness Center, Mid-Atlantic, 950 sailors doing the dumbest thing sailors can do. I promise you. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be topper. You know, the guy who can top everything you say, yeah. but that tour, that, that year, year and a half yields so many f- stories. Some of them funny, some of them sad, some of them tragic that I could probably top anything you said dealing with sailors and people out there. I, honestly, <laughs> I, I, and it was one of those where two o'clock in the morning, the phone's going off because so-and-so and such and such, and, and just you name it, it happened there. Well, my relief came in. And we were chatting about turnover and we were just going to do a one for one. I was going to go take his job. He was going to take my job. Oh yeah. And I realized I didn't want his job. Already knew I didn't want my job. Already knew I didn't want any of the other jobs out there on the flight line. I didn't want to go to the next, I could have still gone to be a a CAG maintenance master chief, a wing maintenance master chief potentially, but I already knew that wasn't in me. I didn't have, I didn't have the gas for it. I was just out of gas. So I called the wife and I said, six months at the most, and I need to go. Wow. She said, are you sure? I said, yes. She said, did something happen? Because before I kind of found stoicism and started living those principles, I could be, I could be an emotional person, overly emotional, i.e. back when I was that leading petty officer. I may have picked up a toolbox and thrown it across the shop and did some screaming, holler, and yell. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully, there's nobody out there that can verify that, but maybe. 
So she asked me very, uh, that's a brilliant woman. And she's a wonderful woman. We've been married 24 years now. So she knows me better than, uh, thank you. She knows me better than I know myself. But she said, did something happen? And I said, no. I said, it's just time. And I felt this peace in my body and not to be touchy feely or anything of that nature. But I was just, I was at peace and I was at an ease that I hadn't known for some time because that cognitive dissonance was rolling around the back of my head going, Hey, you're just, you've checked out, buddy. You've checked out and you need to move on. You know it, you need to move on. So when I finally made that call, which was entering the wilderness entering that unknown path. Now the path forward is, is not as well known. So that was very stressful, very scary. And now having transitioned, I know you've probably seen the same. I look around, I go to hiring fairs and things and look around and I see so much fear and so much confusion and so much dread on people. And it's, that's really a shame because this really, if we made better decisions probably earlier in our career, this should really be a time of celebration and of growth. And now is, now you're back to that, you're that seven-year-old. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, now you, you could be a seven year old again. You won't be a fireman. You won't be, you know, whatever you want to be, go be it. So we made the call. I was at peace. I was good with it. I was very, very blessed to be in a situation where I didn't need work. I didn't have to get out on Friday and work on Monday. So I was able to take some time and process. And then my command, let me go road, which is retired on active duty. <laughs> yeah. They, they basically said, Hey, give me your number. We'll call you. If, we'll call you if we need you. I was in a situation where I had a senior chief running the shop, the division extremely well, and it would have done me no good, nor him, nor the unit, nobody for me to step in and go get out of the way. I'm yeah. here. I'm, I'm running this. Shop. It wouldn't have done any good. So I was, I said, I asked the divo at the time. I said, is he handling business? He said, absolutely. I said, any feedback you want me to give him? Maybe you're not comfortable giving him. He said, no, he's good to go. It was pretty laid back, low, low stress and low production environment, which was great. So I, I went to him. I said, hey, he kind of got out of the chair and came out from behind the desk thinking I was going to go take it. I said, no, dude, sit down. You got it. Here's my number. I'll see you later. So I was able to actually go road for a couple months and re- redo the kitchen kind of thing. Nice. And then I took a couple months off after that. And I'll be honest, looking back, I wish I'd taken longer because I didn't have to go to work. I didn't need to. But my ego and my energy level kind of demanded it in a way because here's that now. Okay, well, you're not you're not in the Navy anymore. What how do you define yourself? Sure. Who are you? What are you? It wasn't a matter of earning money to put food on the table or keep the roof over the head or what, what have you. It was more of, Hey, I got to find some other way to define myself. So I, I went through the standard transition. I think, I don't think mine was that much different. One thing I did try to do. And as I went through it was I tried not to use any resources that I didn't need because there are so many veterans resources out there. Yeah. There's so many programs and plans out there. So I tried to, instead of just going around like a kid in a candy store, grab it all, grab it all, grab it all. I tried to be very specific about what I needed and only take what I needed. I tried to work through the emotional aspect of it. Probably my, my favorite brief at TAP was when we had a presenter come in, a transition assistance program. 
where you're sitting there for about a week and they come in and give you all types of briefs. Here's how to find a job. Here's how to do this. Here's how to do that. We had an individual come in. I think he was a retired senior chief and he just put it out there, man. He said, listen, yeah, this is nerve wracking, isn't it? And everybody shook their heads. And this was E, what was this? E7 and above transition. So there's up to 05, 06 in there, I believe. These are senior, senior fellows. And, and most of them probably didn't have to go have a job either, but they were still nerve, nervous and scared sure. and what have you. And he laid it out there. He's like, y'all are scared to death, aren't you? And you see heads go up and, and he said, that's just an emotion in your body and you need to set with it and you need to come to terms with it and you need to quit running from it because some of y'all are running from it. So he went down and, and that was the first time anybody spoke to that aspect of transition for me. Before that, it was all about here's your resume, here's a job, here's this, here's that, here's how to do a budget, here's this. So when he came in there, it was really an eye opener for me. I was thinking, wow, we can talk about that? We, we, we can talk about that here? Everybody, because you look around and you can see he really resonated with a lot of folks. Then there was some folks in that room who were just bound and determined that they were going to completely redefine transition. They were going to do it better than anybody else had ever done it in the, in the history of transition. You could just see it. You look because we're all type alphas, right? We're just yeah. different levels of type alphas. But you could see the alpha, alpha, alphas in there. Who, <laughs> you know, so you look around, and, and those are the folks who I fear probably have the hardest transition. They they won't give themselves over to the fear or the confusion or the loss of ego or all of these other swirling emotions that are going to keep you up at night. And they are going to maybe have you reaching for that six pack on Friday afternoon instead yeah. of sitting down and reading a rewarding book or, or doing some meditation or, or any of those other factors. I would say overall my transition was good, but I say on a regular basis, it's still ongoing. I've been retired now a little bit over two years and I'm still transitioning. I'm still dealing with a lot of the issues that come with it. Last, uh, 2019 was one of the most, if I sat down and drew it out, it was one of the most impactful years in my life. My youngest daughter graduated high school and then went to college. We moved my 70 year old father into the house with us and we have a small home. So when you have that situation, when you, when you have an empty nest, but then you move somebody else in and they have severe hearing loss and they're bebopping around in their, in their own world, so to speak. Uh, my oldest daughter got married last year and I had retired the year prior. So 2019 was just wow. a whirlwind. That, that is was, a it, full year, man. Yeah. So that led to me going and seeing a therapist as part of that transition. Oh, by the way, I'm 45. So I'm middle aged and I have left the Navy and the comfort and the blanket and, and, and all of those things. So that was what led me to setting down with a therapist and, and working through some issues because it was just, you know, it was just body blow after body blow. And it was a wonderful year, but then there was times where it was a very, very stressful and, and kind of a head scratcher of a year. I think probably one of the most impactful things for me though, in my transition was, reaching back once I got stable and I kind of knew what was going on with me and where I was going, reaching back and trying to help other veterans behind us, just like you're doing now with this podcast and, and, and services you're providing that to me, it helped me work through my issues as well. It wasn't just about reaching back. It was, uh, I'll, I'll be self-serving. I was helping Tim while I was helping others. Sure. Well, I mean, I if you don't help yourself, 
you can't help others, right? If you're not healthy mentally, what good are you to others? So you have to take care of yourself first. And, uh, you know, an analogy I use, and I know several other people kind of in this space use is, is that aircraft when, when they mention about the, you know, the, the oxygen mask, you put your oxygen mask on first so that you can help others. Uh, you don't, you don't try to put theirs on. So if you take care of them, then you end up falling by the wayside and then eventually you're not going to be able to take care of them because you're not taking care of yourself. Agreed. And if you're not doing a lot of the things you've talked about in other shows and, and a lot of the, the current gurus talk about, if you're not getting good sleep, if you're not minimizing alcohol and drug use, if you're not doing a little bit of meditation here and there, if you're not getting outside in nature, if you're not doing those things, you're going to have a hell of rough transition. You're going to, you're going to blow your liver up and it's just going to be rough days ahead. So you've, you've yeah. got to take some time and do those things. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's, that's all great advice and a uh, great story. Um, I know that it's tough to go through, but then once you're able to share that story with others, you can spare them some of the, the, the heartache and the tough times that you've been through. Um, as far as uh, this being a part of your transition assistance program and somebody mentioning to that, mentioning this to you, that's a, uh, that's phenomenal timing, man, because veterans path is actually trying to get, uh, what we do to be part of transition. So it's not just going to be veterans who've already hung off the uniform, but eventually the plan is, uh, and hopefully our, our executive director doesn't mind me putting this out there on the, on the podcast, but the plan is to get this to be part of uh, the transition for transition service members, because that is such an incredibly stressful time as you uh, look to hang up the uniform. As far as your finding stoicism and mindfulness yourself, uh, was that was that the individual in tap that mentioned it to you and that's how you found it or how did you find it? I'll, uh, I'll tell you the story in just a minute, but let me go back to what you just said. And let me say that would be amazing if veterans path got added because had that retired senior chief not been there and given that presentation that day, that yeah. room would not have had the same experience. So if there could be a component added to that process where somebody on a regular basis, where it's, it's a known quantity, where somebody's going to get up and say, Hey, listen, this is scary folks. We know it, but yeah. you're going to be okay. So be it veterans path or anything. I think that would be a tremendous benefit to the veteran community. Stoicism. Awesome so I mentioned, I mentioned earlier going to Sears school. Well at Sears school up in Brunswick, Maine, I believe the building's even called, the rear admiral stockdale building or something to that effect and stockdale is is spoken of in that process and i took i took that away from there i'm a, I'm a reader i've always been a reader i was the kid in elementary school where if there was a line i was standing there reading a book in that line kind of thing people making fun of you because you're always reading look at the dork with the book or whatever you know that kind of thing <laughs> i was that kid that was fine and i i just put up with it until i to about fifth or sixth grade when i was now i was big enough that i didn't hear that kind of talk anymore you know right. but uh, i've always been a reader so I, i'm like who's this stock guy who's the stock guy so i start doing some research and i come across a book uh, stoic thoughts of a, a or philosophical thoughts of a fighter pilot i think was the name of it by stockdale if you have not read it, I, I consider it to be one of the top five books in my life. Wow. And I reread it every few years. I'll make you sure to get, put, uh, put that in the notes. Yeah. It's, it, you might find it a little, uh, some of the stuff you've done, this may be entry level for a lot of folks, but just reading about how he found stoicism and then 
when he put it into use because he was actually going, I believe it was graduate school or Annapolis or something. He was going back doing his tour, his education tour. And he was bored with what he was going through and he happened to be walking down the hall and there was somebody there, there's a, a philosophy professor there. And he started chatting with him and the philosophy professor said, hey, why don't you come to class? And so he did. So he learned all about stoicism and other philosophies. Well, then as he is in war and he's about to punch out and he knows gonna, he's going to be captured, he's going to become a prisoner of war. He said he told himself, well, now I have left, I'm leaving the real world and I'm entering the world of stoicism. I'm entering the world of Epictetus or Epictetus, however you want to say it. So that was my entry. That was my initial foray into stoicism. And, I, and I've just been kind of studying and reading and staying, trying to stay in that field since that time. I spent one. All right. Yeah. So talking about um, James Bond Stockdale and your finding stoicism through reading his book, uh, what does what does your personal practice in the world of mindfulness and stoicism look like? It started out with just stoicism, even though there are layers to these practices that all kind of support each other. They're kind of like spokes of the wagon wheel. They all help the wheel stay round. I found over time things I've read in, in the stoic literature are echoed in the Buddhist literature or the other literature. And I'm not religious. I don't uh, uh, subscribe to any specific religion, but I, I do read from a lot of different sources. So you, you see, when you see these concepts again and again from multiple angles and multiple religions and multiple history angles, you really start to kind of to triangulate in on that. So I started out practicing more stoicism, which one of the key tenets is there's nothing wrong with the world. The world is what it is. Strife and struggle and anguish generally, not always, but generally comes from how you react to how things happen in the world. And even when you read Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning, he, he also echoes that where he talks about it's, it's not the situation that's the problem. It's your reaction to the situation. So as to, after I was exposed to it, I started to put some of that in place where I would try to just pause. A situation happens and my initial body reaction, my initial fight or flight reaction, I don't have flight. I only have fight because that's, once again, the home I was raised in, if your hands came above the waist, it was to get, it was to get it on. Yeah. Which it created this environment of every little bit of challenge creates the fight response. Heart rate goes up, breathing goes up and it's just, let's get it. Let's get ready. Yeah. Get ready to either defend yourself or attack, but there ain't no, there ain't no flight is it's fight. Well, with one of the things that stoicism begins to teach you or what you begin to learn if you practice is okay event breathe respond on purpose and respond in choice rather than that lizard brain at the back of your brain stem that you know so well about rather than letting it run your automatic response stop take a breath and respond on purpose and purposefully so i started practicing that Probably, I'd say a couple of years after I maybe threw that toolbox. <laughs> and, <laughs> or may or may not have thrown it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's that whole stimulus, breathe, 
respond the way you want to respond. And this is one of those things where if you fail, you can't beat yourself up over it. You simply fail and you try again another day or another minute or 20 minutes later. And the same goes true. I, I found this very helpful with my kids. Kids come in and they spilled something. They broke something. They whatever, you know, kids are just chaos. Yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I don't know if you can hear right now, but my kid is knocking at the door over here. <laughs> so you want to pause yeah. real quick? You no, know, no, no, okay. it's all good. <laughs> so it made me a much better father. It made me a better husband. It made me a better brother, a better son. It, it, it just improved my life and every, made me a more relaxed driver. It made me just more relaxed at work, everything. So I go on a few years doing that and using that. And at times there are people who might have thought I was being cold and unemotional because that's the stigma of being a stoic or, or following stoicism. Oh, you're, you're being cold and you're unemotional. No, it's just, I'm not going to allow my emotions to run me. Right. I will, I will control them. And I used to have to tell this, the, the old man or other leaders Hey, listen, if we're in a situation and you think I should be freaking out, but I'm staying stone faced and I'm just calm, cool and collected, I promise you inside I'm freaking out the appropriate level. <laughs> I, you know, I would tell them I'm freaking out inside. It's going on, man. There it's, it's, it's rocking and rolling up there, but that doesn't do us any good for me to behave that way in front of the troops in front of folks. So there was only, after I started practicing that, there was really only one major conflagration. And that's, that's a, that's a story over beer some night. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so I started practicing that. And then, like I say, about three, three and a half, four years ago, I don't remember the exact stimulus or the onus, but came across mindfulness, came across meditation and started practicing that on using the calm app is what kind of started me nice. five minutes yeah. here. 10 minutes there. And I started incorporating that in my life. And, and lo and behold, that's very similar. You have that Buddhist principle of two arrows where the first arrow hits you. Maybe it hurt, maybe it didn't, but your response is what creates the second arrow, the pain and the suffering. When yeah. you go rage, you go into a rage and you're crashing and bashing and crushing and which I've done that. I've been there. I've cut off my own nose to spike my face. <laughs> But if you can just get enough of a pause to interrupt that and, and decide upon your response and decide what's appropriate, because in, in many cases, that lizard brain is just going to tell you, burn the world down and run as fast as you can. Yeah. But if you can interrupt that, and that's really the beauty of meditation and, and, and thinking about things stoically. And it's not about getting rid of emotions. The emotions are there. It's just about catching your breath. And you see the kids spill the chocolate milk all over the beautiful new white rug. And you, it's just grabbing that second and going, hey, it's just a rug. Yeah. It, it's, it's just a rug. And this is your child. They, you, you, could, you could guide the direction of their life from this point on based on your response to this situation. That's how serious it can be. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, Bob Newman, uh, also a uh, retired master chief, uh, he came on my podcast and that was literally the thing that got him to kind of start getting into mindfulness was his kids spilled milk and he got upset about it to a level that was inappropriate. Okay. Um, and, and that's what kind of was the click in his brain that needed to happen for him to start practicing mindfulness and meditation. And, and he's uh, obviously now a, a practitioner. As a matter of fact, um, I think the two of you were both reading 
um, the same book at the same time, I'm forgetting which book it was that you were carrying around when we met for coffee and he had it too. It may have been uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book. Um, I don't know. Anyhow, the, the two of you have a lot in common. So if you don't know one another, maybe I'll have to introduce you guys. Um, but yeah, man, I'm starting to come up on the, at the end of our time. Um, as we get close to the end of the show, uh, I think we could speak forever because you've got uh, you've got an amazing uh, viewpoint on life, and I, and I love it, man. But unfortunately, cut cutting short on time. So as we get close to the end of the show, what have we not discussed that you want to make sure our listeners take away from today's episode? I think we've covered it. Like you said, we could probably sit here and chat for hours because yeah. un unfortunately there is still stigma around meditation and mindfulness. People think it's going to dull their senses or it's going to make them less effective. It's not. So the, the, the one thing I, if I could leave folks with is just to take the time, even if it's two minutes a day to set and maybe do a formal meditation or while you're out and about, just recognize the world and yeah. look and it's a beautiful time out there spring right now the colors the birds i had a cardinal fly in front of me this morning and i saw his wings you know separate from his body just nice. you've got to take time but if you're if you're in your own head shed and you're <laughs> not getting out of it at any point in time you're going to let life pass you by so th that's that's one thing if you don't have a practice start a practice it doesn't have to be sitting down or for 30 minutes a day or going on a 20-day retreat or anything <laughs> of that nature but please start something and then I, I think maybe the last thing I, I'd say is just thank you John for what you're doing because you are blazing a trail I've told you before one of my favorite quotes is wanderer there is no path the path is made by walking is the 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 quote and that's i've got it right here antonio machado uh, i like to say there is no wanderer there is no path the path is made by wandering because that's what we're really doing and, and you're blazing a little bit of a, a trail and a path out there because i've been in this practice mentality for years but i never i'll be honest, i never had the stones to go out there and and put it out there and say hey i'm doing this you should do it too part of that's just because i'm just such an introvert and, and i i you know it's one of those i just i'm not that guy I, it's not my role in a lot of ways so i just want to tell you thank you and anybody that wants to have these conversations because it can be hard to find people to have these conversations with yeah yeah this, you know, this is too touchy feely or, or, or well, what it's funny. Uh, I mean, it, it, once you open up about it, uh, a lot of people want to have the conversation. It's just like you mentioned that the stigma that surrounds this stuff. Uh, once you get past that stigma, uh, it's easy to have the conversations just like we are right now, but overcoming that is the tough part. And then coming back uh, to your, your thanking me, man, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's my definitely a unique honor and privilege to be sharing these practices with with people, with veterans, and hopefully helping uh, helping people out. Uh, but Tim, it's been awesome having you on the show. If people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? I would say maybe hit me up on LinkedIn. I am not much of an online presence kind of guy. LinkedIn is where I do most of my communication and what have you. And yeah, I think that's probably the best place. Tim White on LinkedIn got the. Uh, it's a black and white photo from my daughter's wedding. So got a nice little suit, tie, go. whatever kind of thing on. So pretty easy. Yeah. To find. And one thing we didn't talk about at all is Tim is a big uh, project management professional, PMP, 
Um, so if you're looking for Tim White on LinkedIn, um, he's going to be the one with some project management stuff on there um, located in the, in the Norfolk, Virginia area. So um, Tim, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, you and Bob Newman, it's, it's, it's always good to hear from a Navy master chief um, because if one chiefs do in fact run the Navy, like I mentioned, uh, and two, if a, if a master chief, so again, the highest ranking enlisted member that you can be is a master chief. Um, if, if a master chief is practicing, then really anyone can practice. It is not something that is for weak. It is not something that is for the soft. It is something that truly dedicated, truly professional people can practice and benefit from um, mentally, physically, uh, spiritually. There's just so many benefits to these practices. So again, Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing everything you shared today. I wish we had more time. Uh, maybe we'll have to do another show to get a little bit further into your, uh, your background, but thanks again, brother. It's been a privilege. My pleasure, John. And thanks for having me. I'll try to be a little less wordy next time. <laughs> no, I think it was mostly me asking the questions. <laughs> so, so if I'm asking the questions, I want to hear the answers. So thanks for, uh, thanks. Thanks again. Stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, yeah. And we'll talk again soon, brother. All right. You too. All right. Take care. For our listeners and viewers, thank you again for listening to or watching our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. If you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button here on the podcast or here on YouTube. Leave us a comment, a review, a like, and again, share it with anyone you feel needs to hear our message. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives. 